Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 49 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here. I've got Kurt Mortensen with me. We are ready to talk about some body language matters today that you're always curious about, specifically eye contact for today. We have a great blunder. I'm going to take over on the geeky article for today, making Kurt jealous once again. <laughs> Kurt, how was your weekend? It was good. Good weekend. I had a good week. I was trying to think what happened. And one of those get a lot done, not a lot of busy flying travel time and uh, hanging out with family, getting some lake therapy in and didn't get any rib therapy, but I did get some lake therapy and uh, enjoying the warm weather. Yeah, it's been hot. It's been hot. I had family over. My, my wife's sister came over with her kids and they left on Sunday night at about seven o'clock PM. And I found myself going, okay, when does my weekend start? <laughs> I was going to say, is that a good thing? I think family, we got to be careful here. <laughs> family can be a really good thing, but sometimes, yeah. Yeah, well, it's nothing... a good thing, but sometimes a little too long can really suck the life out of you. So it sounds like you need a weekend. I need week. a weekend. I was exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we took all the kids, you know, seven kids in total with them over to a, a local wow. water park. Mm -hmm. And I hate water parks. So gross. It's, is it the germ thing, or is it just the having fun in the water and the sun thing? It's it's a, mostly for me. It's a personal space thing because I found at water parks you don't get any, right? <laughs> Especially in the lazy river. <laughs> I know you always it's feel like, something there slimy. There is a kid underneath me in my tube. I don't think I'm feeling too comfortable. With that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is this legal? Right? Like, wait, is he? Did he touch me there on purpose, or was that? <laughs> 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 Meanwhile, you got something slimy and greasy that rubs against your back, and you're like, was that a tube or a big fat guy? Is that a Ziploc bag or a jellyfish there in the lazy river? What's yeah. going on? Yeah, and why is that a floating Band-Aid? Like, I just can't stand them. I loved them when I was a kid, but, you know, when you're taking kids there as an adult, I just made that decision, like, oh, no moss. I do not like water parks. Uh, you don't have a choice. That's how you show your love to your kids because your kids love it. Oh, right? well, that's how we show it. Okay. That's kind of how it works. That's just <laughs> how it is. <laughs> one of the many things where you take one for the team. That is taking one for the team. Kids love it. You just got to deal with the germs and hopefully the chlorine's at an all-time high when you're in the pool. Oh, yeah. The, the little wave pool there was way too warm. I don't think that that was just water in there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's kind of eerie to get in a warm pool. There's just something not right about just that. Just something not, yeah. So I've, I've literally shivered a few times while we've been talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> we, do, we do a podcast on, on persuasion and influence here, and that's an example of word choice, where just the words we're talking about, it, it just is making me shiver and react. Oh. It's word choice, subconscious trigger, and something happened a while back that gave you the, what's the scientific term, the willies yeah. that you still get today. <laughs> Yes. And, uh, when you go to the joyous water park. Uh-huh. So hopefully that won't be happening again for a little while here. I'll do my best. But we're here. <laughs> we're ready to rock with another episode for you. We appreciate everybody listening to the podcast and want to encourage you to send in your feedback, your ideas, your questions, uh, your comments, your ninjas, any of that stuff to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. And Kurt, I think we are going to roll out the new formatted website this week, assuming that we can effectively communicate with our web 
developer, which is a web developer. So maybe not this week, but I like our chances. Well, we could either use it as a blunder or a ninja next time, depending on how it goes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know anybody that's ever been happy with the time frame that a web developer has worked within. Has that ever existed ever where somebody said, wow, my web developer got this done exactly when I wanted him to? Web developers, software developers, my younger brother did that for a while. And it's like, yeah, we'll do it in six months. I'm like, does that ever happen? He's like, well, no. Especially software development, they wanted to take two or three years because that increases their employment. <laughs> yes, that's correct. <laughs> Drag it out. Drag it out. They learned that one from the lawyers. Yes, they do. Yep. Well, at risk of getting on a lawyer tangent, let's plunge into the show here and what we've got. And I told you at the beginning that I was going to be taking point on the geeky article moment. All right, geek on. Yeah, yeah. So... Basically, uh, I read a very interesting article. We've all seen movies, and actually, I've even <laughs> been subjected to this, where we've had we've seen handwriting analysis, right? Where you can tell about the mood that somebody's been in, or whether they authored a document, or whether they didn't, right? So, this is a really interesting article that came out on Psychology Today, and I'll post a link to it on the blog about forensic handwriting style, not with actual writing with a pen, but from a keyboard. Because I guess in courtrooms, this has become a big problem where somebody's trying to prove that, hey, Bill wrote this. And Bill's going, of course, well, I'm not the only one that had access to that keyboard, right? And he, mm -hmm. he's got an effective legal defense here. So a woman, and I can't even uh, pronounce her name, so I'm not going to try. I'll link to it on the blog, but this is me giving her credit. <laughs> okay. um, is she has developed a formula and a pattern to analyze when somebody writes something on a keyboard, they can take other documents and compare this and plug it into her software, and it can give the chances as to whether or not the person in question really wrote the document. So, yeah, and I'll read a quick, uh, a quick paragraph. It says, a question document will show distinct syntactic patterns, the unconscious way in which a person automatically combines nouns, verbs, adverbs, and prepositions to create phrases, and each is counted statistically. With a program of her design, Chosky, that's the woman's name, I guess I got it right, has tested hundreds of linguistic variables with several statistical procedures, achieving up to 95% accuracy for author attribution from blind samples. And this all actually got its start when at a university, I want to say it was in North Carolina, uh, the police, they found a student dead in his dorm room with a couple of typed suicide notes. and But they also found a, a syringe mark in his elbow. So they, of course, became very, very suspicious and looked into the, the origin of these suicide notes. And they found out, you know what, he didn't type these. This was a homicide and it blew the case wide open. So if you're going to try any kind of shenanigans uh, with that stuff, you know, your days of being able to type them are, are coming to a close, it looks like. That's interesting. I don't know about that one. Uh, that's Man, if they can peg that, that's really interesting to be able to do that. But I, I'm going to have to use that as a cluster. You know, when you're detecting deception, you're looking for three or four or five different things. Yeah. I think you'd have to use that. Okay, we've got this, we've got this, we've got this. But solely basing everything on that, Wow, in a case or in a deception or a negotiation, hmm, I'd have to have a little more research. That's a fascinating article, but they're able to do that with word choices and nouns and some different things, and, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. I'm calling that we probably need to use that as one of two or three things that we, okay, they're guilty, 
or they're lying or right we need to run and not do business with these people right right and i'm not an attorney if i were you'd be on the meter right now <laughs> <laughs> but i don't think that you could convict somebody just on this right yeah it would be very difficult but and that's what this article talked about in the case is it got the police looking into other possibilities and i think they ended up uncovering other evidence like you and said, I, for the and cluster. I think for a jury, if it was one out of five things that they had found, it would be beneficial. But if it was the only thing, just like a, a lie detector, if that was the only thing, then a lot of times that won't hold up in court. Yeah, and I wonder how much writing you would have to have from the person you're looking at here to be able yeah. to compare and, and get the statistical probability that you have to have. Probably was, a lot. Yeah, if it was one sentence that said, I'm sorry, or something like that, there would be no way. It would have to... Be able to compare. I guess I'd be comparing older handwriting with new, or not handwriting, but things they've written compared to that. But yeah, they'd have probably have to have a couple paragraphs, I would think. Yep, yep, you would think so. So we're gonna see where this where this goes. Pretty interesting article from Psychology Today. I'll post it on the blog for everybody to check out. It's an entertaining read. Do it. There you go. So we're continuing into charisma today. We're talking about eye contact, which we have addressed briefly in previous episodes of the podcast. Today, Kurt is going to show this topic no mercy. You are going to undoubtedly know more about eye contact than you ever thought you could know <laughs> after today's podcast, which is a big deal in how we persuade or how we avoid being persuaded, uh, how we negotiate it. It's a big strategy, even down into the animal kingdom. Eye contact is a big deal. So, Kurt, as we look at this, let's first start with persuading others. And this may tail off into negotiation, as it often does. But what do we need to know? What are some of the basics of, as to what is in play when we consider eye contact? The first thing here is eye contact is huge. We think, well, yeah, I look at people. But it's big. It's the window of the soul. You've heard this before. And the research shows that when you can use appropriate eye contact, and it will vary from person to person, we need to learn to mirror eye contact, people judge you as more dominant, assertive, and independent. And there's a link between the duration of eye contact and the judgment people have on your personality, how influential you are, how your self-esteem, and direct eye contact increases compliance. There's some things that we need to understand about this and doing it the right way. So a lot of people have the wrong type of eye contact where they stare people 100% of the time, and that either means you're very angry at the person or falling in love. But there's other things too, sunglasses, that hide and increases distrust. When you avoid eye contact, that means lack of confidence. When eye contact's less than 50%, it shows insincerity and distance. When you increase eye contact, they're starting to accept your ideas. Rapid blinking, that's known to show signs of deception. You could take any politician that's lying and slow down the videotape. You can see that they tend to blink more. Extended eye contact could also mean frustration. And when pupils dilate, they're interested and more receptive. A lot of these things we totally miss when we're trying to negotiate or influence. We're trying to get our point across. We're not really looking at the eyes, understanding the eyes, reading the eyes, Again, it's the window of the soul. It'll tell you everything you need to know during a persuasion process if you can stop, look, and listen. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you had said that wearing eye or sunglasses rather decreases trust. And I had read recently about how that's one of the reasons why the Secret Service that protects the President of the United States is always wearing sunglasses because A, they don't want anybody to see where they're looking. And B, it creates that intimidating factor of you can't see into me, but I see you. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is. It could be intimidating. It could be a power play. 
If it's a good friend, they have sunglasses, it's not a big deal. And movie stars want to wear their sunglasses. They don't want to be noticed. Where are they looking? What are they doing? So there's some things you can strategically use with sunglasses. But if you're going to a negotiation for a first time, you don't want to be wearing sunglasses. But a lot of people also make the mistake, too, where they have reading glasses that tint up in the sun and they can meet the person for the first time. They don't even realize that's happening. Yeah, that's a good point. So how often should we be making eye contact if you want a successful persuasion outcome? Is there a hard number here? For you today, let me give you a hard number. Okay. (laughs) The key factor here, here's the first thing to really understand here is learn to mirror their eye contact. If someone isn't able to maintain eye contact with you, then you need to decrease your eye contact to maintain that connection. But as a general rule, about 70% of the time, Because when people are uncomfortable around you, they might have low self-esteem, they're unsure about themselves, you might need to decrease that eye contact a little bit. But the answer to your question is 70%. There's an average for you. But I want you to mirror a little bit. Some people who are more assertive, they're going to want more eye contact, they're going to look at you a lot more. Others that are maybe lower self-esteem, they're not used to eye contact, you need to reduce it a bit. It's something that's a powerful thing that we need to understand. It tells us what's happening inside. It tells us that there's a connection. It tells them if we've lost them. It tells them if we've gained their interest. There's so many things we can do with eye contact, but the key factors here is being aware, looking in their eyes, and mirroring their eye contact instead of just staring them down. From the persuader's perspective, what does too little eye contact do to the person that we're trying to persuade? What problems does that cause? That causes a lack of connection, the people skills. It causes, oh, distrust. One of the first things in teaching deception is eye contact. Look at eye contact. Look at eye contact. And that's the first thing people, oh, they can't look at me. They're lying. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. But in their mind, it's true. So there's a variety of things that it causes that really hurt people. It triggers the perception of low self-esteem, a lack of independence. All these things come into play. Well, I bet you can guess my next question then. What would too much eye contact Favorite kind of rib? What's that? What would too much eye contact do? And I'll bring you some ribs later because you can't stop talking about it. (laughs) It's the season for ribs. Yes. Anyway, too much eye contact could be freaking people out because you're either falling in love or full of anger. I think we've talked about the study before where two male and female sat together looking at each other's eyes and they started having amorous feelings towards each other, looking at each other's eyes 100% of the time. It's going to freak people out. It's going to make them tense. Now, if you're in the middle of a power play, you're not backing down. This is the end of the negotiation. Take it or leave it. There might be a play there for extended eye contact. But if you want them to feel a little nervous, a little intimidated, if you want them to react back with more eye contact, there's a time and place for that. But 100% of the time is going to freak people out, especially if it's the initial encounter. If you're halfway through a negotiation or the very end of the negotiation, there might be a spot for this, but it's going to be very intimidating for people and it's going to either get them more angry and increase their eye contact or they're going to try to back down. And especially an amiable type personality doesn't want that conflict. Right, right. I've heard that in some cultures that it's very offensive if you're viewed as subservient to somebody to make eye contact with them. And you've even heard this too, like you read articles and you see things that at shopping malls or something, you have a rough-looking crowd, some gangsters there, and people that make eye contact with them for too long end up getting into big trouble with these guys (laughs) because it's considered aggressive, like you said, that, hey, look, I'm not afraid to look at you. I'm in charge of you, and then it uh, it ends up causing a fight. 
It could. And it's interesting when they interviewed people on the street asking for money. We've talked a little bit about that to where the main thing they need to do to get money from you is get that eye contact. I exist. I see you. You see me. We've made eye contact. That is the most important thing for all the street beggars that are listening out there is getting that eye contact. That is the biggest thing they need to do to get a donation from you. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We just are more... I don't want to say irresponsible, but we just care so much less. We're so much less respectful of our fellow man when there is no eye contact. You see people on the freeway, right? They're in their car. They're hiding behind that window. You don't really get a lot of eye contact. So people are flipping the bird. They're cutting other people off. But all of a sudden, if you see somebody, you make eye contact. That definitely takes it to a different level. And I could see what you're talking about. We talked last week. On that episode, I told you the panhandler with the the Sith Lord (laughs) at the, the, uh, what was it, con? I was joking and call it dork con to my neighbor who went. But no, no, it was fantasy con. There. Yeah, this panhandler, and he made eye contact with me, and I saw his sign, and I laughed, and it was a done deal. I gave him five bucks. So I can see where that comes in. What do you think are a couple, say, two or three main points that uh, the persuaders, the negotiators listening could go and apply this week when it comes to to eye contact? What should they do? Be more aware of the eyes and what they're saying. Ralph Waldo Emerson said the eyes of men converse as much as their tongues. And if you can realize that, really look in their eyes. And if you look in their eyes, let's say you're looking in their left eye and you want to know if you have rapport, look at the right eye and see if they switch with you. You've developed rapport. They're mirroring and matching you. And in a group setting, when you make eye contact, when you smile and they smile back, you've developed rapport. There's a connection there. So once you've established good eye contact, maybe three to five seconds, look away and come back. And if their pupils dilate a little bit, you can increase your gaze time. There's so many things that you can learn with eye contact because things, simple things like this, bloodshot eyes are less credible because they're harder to look at. Larger pupils are rated as being more attractive. So you look at magazine covers, next time you go to the supermarket, the pupils of the models are touched up they're bigger, they're more attractive, probably because when we become excited or happy, our pupils tend to dilate. So photos of people with enlarged pupils are subconsciously rated as more attractive. And we don't even think about this. We think, oh, eye contact, eye contact. No, but read the eyes. Look at the eyes. What's happening with the eyes? Where are they looking? Are they looking at you? Are the pupils dilated? Are they bloodshot? What's going on? All these things are so important with eye contact. Because so many times you think, oh, yeah, eye contact, let's do it. I can do that, but really learn to read those eyes. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, you gave me the fantastic opportunity to go be a heckler at your class that you teach at the local university. And if <laughs> everybody doesn't know this, Kurt teaches a public speaking class. Can I say that? I guess I can. I don't know why yeah. I shouldn't. But... I teach a public speaking class, and Steve came as, as the heckler. You can't be a public speaker. You cannot be charismatic unless you can handle that heckler. And Steve, as you know, is the perfect heckler. That is correct. Kurt tells the students that uh, they're going to fly in a professional heckler from the National Heckling Federation in Minneapolis. (laughs) And they believe me, which is good. (laughs) Yeah. So I get to go just sit in the back of this classroom and make fun of college students for about two hours. And it's great therapy. Right. So the funny thing was, is while I'm doing this, Kurt has me grade these students on their body language and and other things that they're doing as a public speaker. And one of the things that I always notice is the ones who do really well, and I'm cutting them more leeway if they do this, are the ones who are 
just gradually always sweeping the audience with their eyes, making eye contact with everybody. Not in a very you know jerky way, but it's just a natural way of engaging everybody. Whereas those who get bad grades are ones who they're going to lock on to somebody in the front row or they're looking at the floor or they're looking at their notes. Make everybody feel included like, I, like you said, Kurt, I see you. <laughs> like in Avatar, that movie, I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> that was the big saying in that. But I see you. I know you're there. I'm paying attention to you. And it's a tremendous amount of validation to that person. I agree. And that's the flip side too. your ability to, to have great eye contact with people. And when you feel anxious or nervous, sometimes it's hard to maintain eye contact. Just take a deep breath, realize what you're doing, get control of your emotions, make a mental note that the other person's just as human as you are. And if you haven't challenges, you probably heard it before. Look at the bridge of their nose. Or if you're in a large audience, make sure you're doing the 12 o'clock and the three o'clock and the nine o'clock. You're sweeping the audience and everyone feels like you're looking at them. It makes a huge difference. Good call. Anything else on eye contact before we move on to the blunder? Now, there's an interesting study done. It was when Pennzoil took Texaco oil to court, and it was a huge, it was a billion-dollar lawsuit. And throughout the trial, Pennzoil's counsel, their lawyers, were accused of trying to sway the jury by encouraging the witnesses to make eye contact and joke with the jurors. So to show that they were serious and did not consider the circumstances a joking matter, Texaco's lawyers told all the witnesses, don't joke and avoid eye contact with the jurors. This is serious stuff. Well, unfortunately, the advice was not smart at all. Texaco paid. Pennzoil was granted $2.5 billion in damages. And why? Well, they talked to the jurors afterwards, and they said they didn't trust the witnesses who avoided the eye contact, even going as far as calling them arrogant and indifferent. So that lack of eye contact in that particular courtroom cost $2.5 billion. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. I, when I was in college, I had to get some extra credit. <laughs> and I was taking a class on uh, politics and law, I think. And the law school at the university had a mock trial every semester. And you know, everybody had to fill various roles, and they would recruit these undergrad students to be the jury. And I was actually the foreman of the jury in this particular case. And this was an insurance case, and it was so boring, Kurt. Oh, <laughs> I earned all of that extra credit. <laughs> and we're just sitting there in the box, and this one law student, the plaintiff, was just sitting there reading notes, breaking down the witnesses in just a very boring way. But then the law student who was the defense was looking at us when she was making the case. She'd look at the, everybody in the jury. She'd look at the witness, would engage with the eyes. And who do you think won? I mean, it's, it was so much easier to go for the defense in that case because we felt like they actually talked to us and treated us like people instead of just monotoned and red. And you know, I, I don't know how far that, uh, that guy got in, uh, in the legal world, but he needs to start making some eye contact. Well, it's a great example for not only eye contact, but charisma. You take oh, yeah. anybody in the courtroom, you take the lawyer that's making the money, that's winning the cases, it's not always the most analytical and smartest. It's the one that can connect, has the eye contact the jury can relate to, that understands influence. That's the person that's going to win the case. You're exactly right. Cue up the Homer. All right, Homer, bring it home. Don't, don't, don't. There he is. There's our boy Homer. We've got a blunder incoming, and it just so happens to deal with eye contact. It could have been that last thing about the law students I told you about. But 
This was, uh, Kurt, we were doing a lot of seminars a few years back, and when we would go to these seminars, we would take people with us who could sell the product that we were offering to the audience, and they would do this in a one-on-one -on -one interview consult type atmosphere, right? So we'd have the seminar, people would go out to sit down and talk with somebody and answer their questions, and this would be not only an opportunity for them to get more out of the seminar, but for our guys to, to sell products, right? That's what we do it for. So we took a guy with us who claimed to be the, the greatest salesman in the world. He was not shy about it. And he worked back at the home business on, uh, well, back at home, selling on the phone. That's all he had done his entire life was sell on the phone, which I'll be the first to admit that is tough to do. If you're good at it, then you are going to get paid well, right? Selling on the phone. And that's increasingly what, what people are being asked to do. And he said, oh, no, he could mop the floor. He could sell all the other guys in person uh, by himself, outsell them. And it was pretty hilarious because we were wondering how he was going to really do this because selling in person, well, we've got this body language thing we've got to deal with, we've got to pay attention to. And I remember walking out of the room and seeing him with the first client that we had paired him up with. He was hunched forward with his hands on his knees, making unblinking eye contact with the prospect, like he was about to jump over the table and strangle him. I think if the table wasn't there, the prospect probably would have called off the interview. And you want to take a wild guess, Kurt, at what the body language of the prospect was like? Oh, I'm sure they were backing up a little resistance, trying to get as much space in between them as possible. Yeah. If you would have taken them out of, I think we were at the Embassy Suites Hotel, if you would have taken them out of there and put them in like a concrete block room with a metal table, you would have sworn this was a detective interrogating a drug suspect. <laughs> it was so bad. So that's too much eye contact, too aggressive of a posture. You've got to mirror and match what the prospect is doing to get him to feel at ease. And it won't surprise you that he did not close that sale, nor did he close any sales that weekend. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people, oh, eye contact, and they freak the person out because, whoa, where'd that come from? And they feel like you're staring them down. But the other point there, too, that's really important is when you find someone that's really good at face-to-face -face sales and phone sales, that's a tough find because they are very, very different sales. Some people overlap. A lot of people tend to be really, really good on the phone or really good face-to-face. -face. And a lot of people say, well, I could do it on the phone. I can do it here. There, it's different. Platform sales is a lot different than face-to-face -face sales, which is different than phone sales, which is different than writing internet copy. There's some overlap, but they each take unique skills for people to pull off. You are correct. Anything else for the uh, listeners before we sign off for the week, Kurt? Just take some time with your own eye contact. Make sure you're mirroring and matching. And take some time, too, to read their eyes. What's happening? What's happening with their pupils? What's going on? If you can take some time with that, it'll make a big difference in your charisma and your ability to influence. And it makes a big difference in your connection and your ability to read the person. Great, great stuff. Everybody, go ahead and email us at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com for questions, comments, ninjas you want to suggest, uh, blunders you would like to suggest. And as always, please leave us your reviews on the iTunes store. That's where you can look up the, the podcast, Maximize Your Influence, and subscribe to it. So if you've got an iPhone or an iPad or anything like that, it will automatically download whenever we record a new episode, which is weekly. We try to release it on Thursdays. Sometimes we get it out a little bit uh, earlier than that. I don't have a droid or any of that stuff, but I know you can do the same thing on there. You can get the podcast app and, and automatically subscribe to the feed. 
And we will have the new website out here shortly. You're always welcome to listen on the website as well. And tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody. We always can use uh, more listeners to the podcast as we continue to grow it and uh, release some great new features for you. So have a great week. We will talk to you next week. See you next week.